You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Well, good morning. You know, we most of you know this, but we always long to create environments where people feel welcomed and accepted and... Um, not judged or condemned or exposed or in a place where they might feel um, vulnerable. And so I'm highly cautious to share this because it could, it could make some of you feel um, slightly inadequate or uh, that you don't quite measure up or that kind of thing. But 9-0, um, <laughs> man alive, honestly. I'm sorry if you find that odd, but the largest top flight away win in the last 131 years in the history of the league. The, only the second team to be 5-0 by half-time and only the second team to score two hat-tricks in a match. Um, some would say that the rugby was more important, but I beg to differ. Uh, there we go. Let's not even talk about Wales then. But um, I have checked. Um, so I've been doing this, this series on um, invitation. And today is kind of part of that series. You are invited into a greater, deeper relationship with Jesus yourselves. And you are invited to invite others into that. It's the realization of we've got something to share. When we see Jesus, we can't not share it with others. But today, before I jump in, I just want to share a quick story with you. I had to share the football one right at the start just to get that out of the way. Else we were just going to keep going there. But... Um, <laughs> I often have the most wonderful, quite insightful conversations with our eldest daughter as I drop her off to school. And in the last couple of weeks, um, that was no different. It was her birthday about a week ago. And so for literally a month, I would say at least, we've been building for this moment. And uh, so it was on the Friday by the Monday of, of the week before it. We're, like, we're in the zone, you know. I don't know if you've experienced that kind of thing, but the countdown was on literally every conversation she was going to be seven so every moment was marking the fact that she was no longer going to be sick so as we're driving to school on the monday this is the last time i will drive to school on a monday as a six-year-old so we're in that kind of conversation it was quite big so anyway of course we get on to the the standard topic of presence and who is it that would be stepping up to the plate to bring her these much-treasured goods? So the conversation went a little bit like this. It was, it was kind of like, Daddy, yeah, I kind of knew what was coming, if I'm honest. Do you think, because we lead the church together, emphasis really on the we, uh, do you think because we lead the church together that everyone in the church is going to buy me a present? <laughs> So I'm like, I'm in expectation management territory, um, kind of basically trying to very politely say, I very much doubt it. Um, but why not? Because they're my friends. Now, that's, that's a good point. I can see where she's going. Um, but again, expectation management, well, because often at a birthday, it's, it's sometimes that it's only your family that might, and I'm really emphasizing the might because it is, again, isn't an expected. Sometimes your family might buy you a present, but even that isn't a given. Well, isn't church supposed to be family? So if they're my family, surely they'll all 
all by mere president. And I'm like, that's quite a good point. Um, she, at the time, was only six. And I'm like, well, we have bred a negotiator. Um, and um, anyway, before I could answer that next question, and which she's starting to wrap me up in knots, thankfully, she sees her school friends and slightly moves on until she says, I see my school friends every day. They're like my family. They will all get me a present. I'm like, oh, man, now we're in, now we're in a difficult place. Um, you know, I, I believe we're, we're called, we're designed to operate and to function like a family. Now, even saying that to some of you could deter you from wanting to consider this any further because your understanding of family in the earthly sense has been either painful or fairly complex. That would certainly be my story. For some of you, it would actually be quite the opposite. You would have had an incredibly warm, loving reality. Either way, the family that I believe that God calls us to be is far beyond, way beyond human comprehension or design. But even as we consider being a family and the invitation to understand our relationships like that, one of the challenges that I think we often face is that we therefore desire to keep it safe and keep it cosy and to try and protect it. We try and protect it from growing and we try and protect it and keep it in a safety net because we want to stay with what we already know and what we already have, to hunker down, to become insular and to protect it from anything that might cause it to expand or grow. Because if it changes, that change is going to bring a pain, and that pain is not going to be something that we would want. Well, today I want to make the invitation to us that we're called not only to be a family, but to be a family that multiplies, that seeks out multiplication. We are a sent people. We're a people that are on a mission that seek to recreate the kind of family that God wants among us and invites us into, but to see that extend and to see that advance, to be people that really start to understand and focus on the concept and the idea of multiplication. Because God calls us to be influencers. In the Bible, in, in Matthew, in chapter 5, it says this, you are the salt of the earth. It goes on to say, you are the light of the world. We are influencers, and we're called to bring influence in a significant way. We're God's agents that are supposed to bring kingdom ideas and kingdom truth to bear in the world. But, but as he says, we're the light of the world, you are the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, but he's not the one who's working in the coffee shop. He's not the one who works in the call center. He's not the one who is the teacher. He's not the one who's looking after the children at home, the one that's recently retired. You are. So as he's the light of the world, Jesus shines that light through us. We are his ambassadors and his representatives. We're called not to be influenced by this culture, by the things that are around us, but we're called to bring the influence of another culture, the kingdom of God, to bear on the culture that we do see around us. So today I just want to zoom in on a little bit in, um, in a book in the Bible called John chapter 17. I'm just going to read starting at verse 15. It says this. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy 
by your truth. Now, here's, here's the first thing to say from that that I really want to focus in on. Jesus' plan is not to take you out of the world. Now, to some of you, that might immediately come as a bit of a disappointment. I've prayed a prayer many times. I used to pray it all the time when I was at school, particularly before my French lessons. Man alive, I would pray the prayer because that teacher in that class, did just, it just didn't work for me. So I'd walk up the stairs. We, we were in this huge um, tall office block type thing. I'd walk up the stairs and I'm like, Lord, I am ready. You can take me now if you need to. And he didn't, as you would notice. So I sat down and my prayer changed. I'd be like, Lord, you're going to need to return in the next four minutes because that's my limit. I couldn't handle going further than that. Now, I'd love to say to you, you probably some of you realize, I'd love to say I've grown up and I've changed significantly in my outlook, but I found myself praying exactly the same prayer every time I go to the dentist. It's like, Lord, I commit my spirit into your hands. I'm not trying to be irreverent, but I wonder, I just wonder if some of you been there, do, do you know what I mean? Maybe actually you're there now. The job you are doing is not working. It's just not clicking. You know, maybe the boss is a, is a bully. The, the pressure and the demands that they're placing on you seem a step too far. They're, they're asking too much. The, the environment is maybe just degrading. It's dirty and gossipy. You're trying to work as a team, but for everyone else, it seems like they're just trying to step on you to get ahead and to, to pip you to the post. Maybe... It's your marriage is just, it's not thriving. The, the family dynamic that you're living in is just persistently un, undermining. And maybe it's a neighbor that is just clashing with you. They just constantly seem to be harsh or aggressive or, or have a mean edge to them or a so-called friend of yours that is just being critical towards you or that the house that you live in has, has got damp and the landlord just couldn't care less or... Whatever it is, what is it that you would rather be out of? What environments of, of the world are you in where you just want to be out of it? You just can't take it anymore. Well, God isn't looking to get us out of the earth. He's actually looking to send us in. He's not trying to get you out of darkness. He's calling you to be light in the darkness. Verse 15, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. What's, what's that really saying is, I, I want you to be in difficult places, but protect them from the devil. He doesn't, he doesn't say protect them from bad people, difficult circumstances, challenging environments, or difficult company. Actually, quite the opposite. Don't come out, send them in, but protect them from the devil. Shield them from the evil one. Now, that is a dangerous person who prays that prayer. The person that feels called to go into the dark places but has an awareness of needing to say, protect me from the evil one. So I know that's a, it's a bit of a full-on start to use that kind of language and to present it in that way. But you know, in planting this church, I would say it's not been the easiest thing to do. Many times we've had to step into, I want to say we, we've had to step into some of the most challenging complex dynamics 
and as a group of people, I intentionally say we because I mean all of you. We've watched some of the pain that you've walked through. But the prayer, the prayer surely is protect us from the evil one. It's not, hey, let's back off. It's not, hey, let's give ground. We're still going in. We're still getting on with this. But the cry of our hearts is, Father, please protect us. The second thing, verse 16, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. So we're not, we're not saying we're better. We're not saying we're superior to the world. We're not saying, hey, I'm the one. Top dog, big dog coming through, move out the way, roll out the red carpet. I've got my what would Jesus do wristband. You know, I've got the bookmark. We're not, we're not saying any of that. We're saying we're supposed to be different because it's not about being right. It's about being light. I think that's really important. We're not trying to be right. We're just trying to be light. At times, I think most of us would know that we're supposed to be or we're meant to be different. But that's the very thing that we start to fear. Oh, no, I'm, I'm different. I'm not actually going to fit in because everyone's going to notice that I'm different. Some of the things that I think are going to clash with some of the things that they think, and this is just going to go horribly wrong. So maybe I shouldn't actually be different, or maybe I should just be slightly less different because that will make it easier, but not too different because if they notice I'm different, then I'll be different and I won't fit in. We're not benefiting. But it's not about being right, it's about being light because our conviction isn't our condemnation. That's really important. Just because we feel strongly convicted by something doesn't mean we're condemning others. We've got to live by it and stand by it. But sometimes I think we start to think more than others start to think, oh, but you're judging me. You're condemning me. That's currently, I would say, one of the major ways that culture tries to pin us in. We, we can't be light, or we don't think we can be light, because we think they think we're just trying to be right. Does that make sense? So we have this light, and what we do is we stick it under a bowl so that nobody can see it and nobody can be influenced by it. Matthew 5, 15, nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. But we live in a culture that currently says, well, if you don't agree with me, you don't love me. Well, that's not actually true. But that's what they would say to us. I, I would say, our youngest daughter is fearless. I take her swimming, not only is she fearless, but she's stubborn. So I would say she gets the fearless from me and she gets the stubborn from, uh, from me as well, from me as well. Bad joke. Anyway, I'd, I'd, I'm more stubborn than the three of them combined. But anyway, fearless and stubborn is a, is a really difficult combination. Not only would she refuse to wear armbands, but she would insist on running off and jumping in at the deep end and then finds it almost funny watching me nearly break my neck and falling over myself trying to rescue her. So I disagree with her running along the side of the pool. It's dangerous and she could get hurt. I disagree with her refusal to wear armbands because she can't swim. Actually, I disagree with her jumping in at the deep end, partly because it's a reckless idea and she's not got armbands on, but partly because it makes it very difficult for me to get in and rescue her because I'm out of my own depth. 
Now, just because I disagree, in fact, I strongly disagree, and I think most of you hopefully would join me, doesn't mean I don't love her. In fact, I couldn't love her anymore. But my conviction is not my condemnation. Jesus sends us into the world to love the world. The thing that changes how we're received is how we're sent, because we're sent in love, by love, and because of love. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. It says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Another version of, of that passage says, we are sanctified by the truth. Now, we're supposed to be distinguished. We're supposed to be distinctive by the impact of the word and the work of God on our lives. Because of our relationship with the word and our relationship with the God of the word, our lives are being transformed. That's really what sanctified means. We've been changed into the image and the likeness of Jesus. And we're continuing to change. We've been made holy. Holy just means really set apart. So we're supposed to be set apart. We don't belong to the world. Of, co of course we don't belong to the world because we've been set apart and changed into the likeness of Jesus. We've been changed from what it looks like to be part of the world. We've been changed from what the world lives for and what it values, and we're being recreated into something new. So, of course, we don't fit in, or we're not supposed to fit in. But the third part of it is verse 18. It says, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. So as Jesus was sent, we are also sent. We're a sent people, and we're sent to be different different from the world, changed by the truth, and then sent back, changed people to live in the world. This really is the simple way, I would say, that the church is going to see the world impacted. It's by us realising that we're a sent people. We're sent and we're changed. We're different people. Therefore, when we live in the world, we have an impact on it because we've been the light in the darkness. But before we can live as light, we need to live right we can't do both. We're not meant to live as the world lives anymore. Sometimes I think we think we need to because we want to fit in, but we're not supposed to live that way. Now, some of us, I think, face a tension in trying to do both. Well, I kind of, I want to fit in, actually. And actually, there's, do you know, there's so much pressure on me to fit in, to go along with what everyone else is doing. But we can't do both because we're not meant to fit in. They don't belong to this world any more than I do. Jesus is changing you so you're not meant to fit in. You're meant to be light and to be light and to be different, we need to live right. So God sends us into the darkness not to fit in with it, not to copy it, not to mirror it, but to be a light in it. So God sends us into the darkness because actually we know the way out of it and we can therefore lead others out of it. Philippians 2 verse 12, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He starts to create in us through the power of his spirit a desire to live in a way that pleases him to start to show the results of that change that he's making in our lives. To, to be like Jesus, we've got to train ourselves 
to be and to think and to act like Jesus, to change our desires to be more like Jesus. We need to have that indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the power that he brings to us among us in our hearts and our minds. Philippians 1.19 says, pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ help me. That's what we need. We need the power of the spirit of God. We also need the influence of, of other faithful followers of Jesus. That's why unashamedly, we would constantly, constantly, constantly talk about small groups. You need people around you. I need people around me because we're sent into dark places. Dark places where the enemy is seeking to pick us off. To cause you to water it down. To cause you to fall away. We need others. We need to seek out an obedience to God's word. That's what this passage says. Not just exposure to it we can't just be people that hear it we need to be changed by it and live differently as a result of what we read and we understand we need to be people that live out a sacrificial service therefore that's what we're called to an obedience and a giving of ourselves so we need we need the spirit we need each other we need the bible and to be obedient to it and then we need to live that out sacrificially in service to him so when we realize all of that when we realize that we're a sent people it becomes less about protect me from the difficult circumstances and the difficult challenges we start to realize protect me from the devil that's i know that's hard for some of us to hear and realize but that's the reality the church is sent into the darkness we're supposed to be a light in the darkness. We don't wait for the world to show up at the front door of the church. We go through the door into the world and live out light. Your God-given gifting, your abilities that he has gifted you with and opportunities that you currently have are the door for you to reach others. When we live a life a different way, I think we miss the fullness of all that he has for us. Because what, what often happens is one of the little tricks and the subtleties that starts to play in our minds is we start thinking about career. We start thinking about a bank account. We start thinking about a pension package. When we do that, we start to miss it. Now, I'm not saying those things aren't important. I'm just saying they're not the driving force. They're not the purpose of a life committed to the fullness of what God has for you. Because who you are and the gifts and abilities that he has given you have come from him. He makes you good at what you do. Now, you could say you earned it, you work for it. Yeah, 100%. I'm totally on board with that. I'm fine with that. But it's the breath of God in you and his encouragement that has caused it to be what it is. So we're not asked to get out of those workplaces. We're asked to get into them to take seriously the opportunities that God has given us. Sometimes we start to think, though, even now you could be thinking, yeah, but I don't, I don't have the answers. I'm not the, the popular one. I'm not the one with a personality. I'm, you know, I'm just kind of little old, old me. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought when somebody's drowning, people don't really care who rescues them. They just want to be rescued. And if they're anything like my daughter when she goes swimming she doesn't even know that she needs to be rescued but she needs rescuing because we're a, we're a sent people we're a people on a mission honestly I'm not trying to minimize for some of you the pain of the workplace that you're currently in 
I, I know for some of you, this is a painful conversation. And I'm not saying in any way that a job change isn't right. For some of you, it will be. You're in a place that maybe you shouldn't be. The favour's gone, the well that you were digging, you need to move on from it. I just sometimes think when we're trying to get out, actually God is trying to send us in. Or we're trying to fit in, but we're not supposed to fit in. Or we're trying to be right, when actually we're supposed to be light. You know, when I worked in, in the fire service, oh, goodness me, some of those environments were dark. They were difficult. I, I thought about this. I don't think I'd even dare tell some of you. I think I'm too appalled by just how dark they were and you would be shocked by it. Just even this week, I was reading in the news the, the whole thing going on in Essex with, um, with the lorry and my old watch were on that job. Some of the things they would have seen and been exposed to is beyond words. I transferred from Essex to Berkshire and the guys that I was working with very quickly, I can't remember how it came up, but very quickly realised, as they called it, that I did God. And uh, so in their minds, I've got no opportunity to say anything differently. And I very quickly, you know that you're becoming labelled. You know, the, the vicar, the pews, the religion, the vicar of Dibbley, the cheesy TV adverts, the car salesman who's got a dog colour, the person who's going to be judgmental of anything they do or say or think or ways that they're living, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And it's kind of like you can read it, oh, no, he's on our watch. We can't even say anything because of the whole, like, you know, he'll kick off because he's a religious one. So very quickly you realise not only do they know, loads of others on the other surrounding stations know, we've got one who claims to know God. You know, on the one hand, actually, it's quite handy. You get it out there. I love to relevantly somehow name drop Jesus because it gets into conversations quickly and doors open as a result. But the reality was, in many ways, in those kind of environments, I, I took a complete hammering in a way that was completely outside of my control. So, so what do you do? Well, you live differently and you live as the light when you get an opportunity and sometimes you have to create them where you actually follow it up with words. But it's only often as you've lived as light that sometimes it opens the door because you've earned it to speak. When you've done a 15-hour night shift and you've been all, out all night and no one else can be bothered to mop the floor, that's when you mop the floor. When no one else can be bothered to do the daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual checks, I'd do the checks. I'd be the first to wash up, the first to make everyone a cup of tea, the first to clean the toilet, never saying anything, never making a big thing. Oh, just, I'm cleaning the toilet because, uh, kind of because I've followed Jesus, and therefore if I clean the toilet, you might think that I follow Jesus, and therefore we'll have a profound encounter, and you'll know, and everything will be great, and maybe we could actually be friends, because I'm kind of normal. Did you notice I clean the toilet, by the way? None of that. We just clean the toilet. We're the first to speak to the people that nobody else would speak to. You know, I'd say over time, the dynamic shifted. You start to earn a voice from a place of respect, where you can communicate something of Jesus. On my last day, before I moved on to the next job I felt the Lord was calling me to, this 86-year-old cleaner who was from Jamaica, she had no family in the UK. She was struggling 
to make ends meet, she burst into tears because I was the only person who had not only given her the time of day, but had actually helped her with her job. Now, I never put a poster up to say, hey, I follow Jesus. But I did go out of my way to be the best floor mopper they were ever going to meet. And when somebody asked me why, I would find language to explain it. And if they didn't see enough out of the way I lived, that I would intentionally create conversation around it. I'm, I, I'm hesitant to tell you any of that because I don't want to at all make it about me. But what I do want to say is I know for some of you, the work environment you are currently in is incredibly hard and painful. I've seen it even this last week. My daughter, who is now seven, has been bullied as a result of knowing Jesus. I'm like, man, we, that's seven. Some of us are in difficult environments, probably even harder because you're not of this world. You don't belong to this world. So you don't fit in. But you're sent to it to change it, to be empowered, to make a difference. People don't care about what we know and what we don't know, about whether or not we're the, you know, the big dog, the one with the personality, the one that's got the most followers on Instagram. Nobody's that bothered about any of that. They just want a light in the darkness or at least somebody who knows a way out of it. And that's what we need to be, a sent people, to be a light that knows a way out of the darkness. So all of that said... What on earth has any of that got within a family that multiplies? I don't know if you noticed, that was the question I posed at the beginning and I've kind of not gone anywhere near it. I don't know if you noticed that. But we're purposed to be a family. And the very essence of that can lose its focus. Because it's so much easier to be a family that hunkers down and tries to protect itself and to conserve what we have rather than to reach out to others, but that's not what we're called to be because we are a sent people. Multiplication starts with a vision of the kingdom. A kingdom vision requires all of us to have a vision much larger than our own four walls. We've got to have a high degree of intentionality for that to be a reality. Unless we love the lost, we're never going to reach out to the lost. It's not a gift-based concept it's not left to a few chosen ones it's a corporate calling on all of us this isn't about having a few specialists who are particularly good with sharing jesus i know in a sense i make light of that but unless we're intentional i think we can unintentionally create it to be that way hey we leave it to others i'm better at this part of what i do we all have a responsibility to take Jesus to others. For, for Jesus, it was so natural, so normal. Meeting people, talking with people was as natural to him as it was to be breathing. Yet often I think we can see the idea of sharing our faith to be something that just overwhelms us. But as seen in the life of Jesus, simply meeting people, talking with people, allowing them to be exposed, to, to expose some of their hurts, to explain some of the pains and areas of brokenness and the realities in their life, and then to have somebody share Jesus as somebody who can meet and satisfy those needs is the heart of what it is to be a sent people, loving others around us and interacting with them. It shouldn't be 
technical or complicated. It's relational and it's conversational. And as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're able to share, to show, and to spread Jesus so naturally. You know, at times I think the temptation, I know I've found this in my life, the temptation is to trade sharing Jesus with social activism. You know, we believe in both the word and in action, but people ultimately don't experience the fullness of Jesus through social justice. It often is a door to their heart, and it often does create a way for people to be receptive, but they often experience it through verbal proclamation. Social justice may manifest implications of the gospel, but sharing the gospel with individuals gives them a personal invitation to follow Jesus. The two go hand in hand. It's demonstration and proclamation combined. We have to realise that to be a sent people, we've got to be really comfortable with the idea of multiplication. It's something that's got to really sow a seed in our hearts. Now, that isn't always easy unless we're intentional about it. The reality is that the, the fear of the unknown starts to kick in. The fear of losing friends, the fear of change, the fear of failure, they're all factors that start to prevent us from um, prioritising, multiplying. I don't want to leave this small group because that's where my friends are. I don't want to travel for community. Can't we just stay as we are because I'm only just starting to get to know them? Luke 19, verse 11 onwards talks about where Jesus shares the parable of the of the ten talents and in the parable the servants who wisely invest their talents they yield an interest and they're given more but the servant who hid his talent ended up losing it It says this Jesus said I tell you that everyone who has more will be given and from the one who does not have even what he does will be taken away we have to realize For some of us, I think the penny almost has to drop on this. We have to realize how much we've been given, how much potential we carry, and our need to invest that wisely and fruitfully. Jesus says that he will make us, he will create us into, into, he will train us to be fishers of men. He, He took a load of fishermen and he called them to follow him and speaking in ways that they could understand. He says, hey, listen, I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. That's, that's what this thing is about. We've got something so good that we just don't keep it to ourselves. We give it away. We share it. I'm going to teach you to help people come to know me and to follow me. Now, we've got to be so careful that in our mindset, we, we don't become people that are keepers of the aquarium rather than fishers of people. It would be so much easier just to invest in ourselves and look after our needs and our wants and our desires and what would fuel us. I could think of 50 ways immediately that I think would be so good and so helpful and so beneficial for us as a growing community. But it would take our eyes and our lean off reaching out to others. As we realise we're sent, we align ourselves to fish for more people and therefore we'd need more leaders to man the boats because one boat isn't going to be enough to hold all other fish. So what does that mean? We have to push ourselves out slightly. We have to plant more small groups. New people best go to new groups. So of course we're going to create more small groups. To create new groups, some of you will have to leave the safety of the groups that you're in to create space to help 
shape what a new group might be. It's the heartbeat of what we do. You're in a group, if you're in a group, because somebody created space for you to be in that group. We have to multiply things. We have to multiply things on a Sunday. Eventually, we'll have to multiply elements of this church so that others who don't yet know and haven't yet heard have an opportunity to do so. That, that starts, where does that start? It starts by getting more involved, by you carrying weight and creating space for somebody else. I'm, I'm not just talking about church planting. I'm talking about multiplying everything. I, w- I want to remind all of us that we have to multiply everything. Disciples, groups, ministries, churches, but everything we're doing. We give it away and we raise up others to do it, constantly finding and creating ways to involve others, to give something away and to release others into it. Often, the reason we don't do that is because we don't see the need to do it. Some of you will be familiar in the Old Testament that the spies came back from the promised land and they gave a negative report. Although God had promised Israel the land, the spies came back and told all of the people that it would be impossible for them to overcome the inhabitants and to occupy the land. Therefore, Israel spent 40 years wandering around in the desert eating manna. I want to invite us today to realize the extent of the mandate on us, individually, collectively, and it's not just for us, it's for this city. The passage says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. The last thing, the last thing the enemy would want for us as a church is for us to multiply and seek ways to invest in and reach out to the lost and to create environments and ways to welcome others in to spaces and places that allow them to feel safe and to explore Jesus. Literally every time we do it, every time we plant a new small group, every time we try and do Alpha, I don't say this out of a place of fear, but something happens circumstantially and you're like, oh, that's interesting. You put a few of those interesting things together and you start to think, oh, maybe somebody doesn't want us to do that. You know, at times, this will cost us to multiply the closeness of friendships, our comfort, and our security. But that's what it is. That's what it means to multiply family. In the book of Acts, after Jesus told his disciples that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uppermost parts of the world, after the Spirit of God had fallen on them and filled them, they had a difficult time leaving Jerusalem. I don't know whether you've ever seen it or read it that way. In fact, it wasn't until Acts 8, through persecution, that the believers were scattered and took the gospel to the other parts of the world. Counting the cost and praying the price of multiplication requires great faith and sacrifice, but it's what we're called to be and it's what we're called to do. Such belief and such behavior display an outward focus by having such a mentality we start to embrace a jesus-centered gospel-centered mindset where we love god and others and it propels us to become a church that is mission orientated and multiplication bound and i believe that's what the lord calls us to do and calls us to be why don't we stand together
Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Thank you.